0: everybody. I know we took a little time off with uh, VBS and whatnot, but uh, before we get jumped, uh, before we jump into the next um, for tonight, the Bible study for tonight, uh, just a couple of announcements. So uh, next week, again, there won't be Bible study, but uh, our conference is next week, finally. So so the conference starts on Friday. So not this Friday, obviously, but next Friday, Saturday, Sunday. uh, The full schedule is out on Instagram, and it's also posted in the um, uh, grounded group chat. Um, so if you guys aren't in either of those, let me know. We'll get you in. Uh, but Friday night, the service will start at 7 p.m. Saturday morning-ish. Uh, We're having a brunch that'll be at 11 here or in the Fellowship Hall. Uh, Saturday night, 7 p.m. again, Sunday morning, uh, normal time 11, and then Sunday night, 7 p.m. So definitely excited about that. Uh, we are asking, if possible, if you guys could just be praying for the conference uh, between now and then. Just really asking the Lord to speak, really asking the move really asking just for the lord to do whatever it is that he wants to do uh, in that conference and so uh please be praying about uh, about that um that's really the only announcement um so we are going to just pray and we're going to jump jump in to colossians so let's pray heavenly father we just thank you so much for your presence we thank you so much for your word we thank you so much for your t- for this time lord Thank you, Lord, that you are here. Father, we give this time to you. We ask you, Lord, in Jesus' mighty name that you be the one to speak. We need to hear your voice. As we look into the word, Father, we want to hear you. We want to know you. We understand, Lord, this thing, this one thing, Lord, that this is your word, this is your voice, this is you speaking. So, Father, we ask in Jesus' mighty name. This is you have told us to ask. Would you be the one to speak to us? We ask believing that we will receive we seek, believing that we will find. We are knocking, believing that you will open the door to us, Father. Father, we pray for those who couldn't make it today, uh, wherever they may be. We just Lord, pray, Lord, that you would bless them, that you would be with them, that you would speak to them. Uh, just a word in due season, that you would comfort them, Lord. Just remind them of your presence. Father, we ask you, Lord, we ask you, and I can't get off this. We ask you, Lord, you be the one to speak today. We believe you that you will do, that you will speak. We honor you, Lord. We bless you. We love you. In Jesus' mighty name we all pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So for those of you guys who are new, we have been going through the book of Colossians. And we are looking at uh, Paul's letter to this church. And what we've been seeing so far, there are four major themes uh, that we are kind of, there, there's, you know, more themes that you could probably pull out. But four major themes that we are, that we've been covering uh, through the study of Colossians. So the first one being basically, who is God? Um, who is God expressing the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Uh, two, what is God's view of the church? How does God feel about the church? Three, the gospel message is enough and it completely satisfies. That Nothing and no one else will satisfy us. Uh, nothing and no one else can fill us. Nothing and no one will save us like the gospel message. You know, what the message that is contained within this gospel. Uh, and then fourth, what's the appropriate response then? So once we find out, okay, who is God? Once we find out God's view of the church and who we are as the church, once we find out, you know, what is this gospel message and that it completely satisfies, then the last thing being, okay, then what is the appropriate response to all of those three? So that's kind of the theme that we've been, or those themes that we've been going through. Last, uh, I guess two weeks ago, uh, in our session, when we finished chapter one, uh, we called that good reasons, or Paul has good reasons to rejoice in his suffering. So we looked at these five things that Paul listed as good reasons to rejoice um, in the midst of his suffering. So again, remembering that Paul is in prison as he's writing this letter uh, to this church, uh, that Paul, before being put in prison, has gone through it. He's been shipwrecked. He's been whipped. He's been beaten. He's been stoned. He's been arrested. I mean, this man has gone through it for the sake of the gospel. And now currently he's in prison, uh, and eventually he's going to be executed. And he knows this. And so in the midst of all this suffering, in the midst of all this hardship... Paul isn't talking about this so much. Like he doesn't hide the fact that he's suffering. uh, But he actually still finds good reasons to rejoice in the midst of it. And so the five things that we saw was one, uh, as a reason to rejoice in his suffering. He says he's participating in Christ's suffering. This was probably the hardest one to really relate to or maybe the hardest one to really understand. Uh, But what we mentioned was that when you are, you know, it's easier to, to feel for someone. It's easier to relate to someone if you have gone through the same thing that they've gone through. Right? If someone is going through something very, very difficult, very, very traumatic, you know, something really, really difficult, it's one thing when that person comes up to you and they're like, man, I feel for you, I'm praying for you, and I'm, I'm with you, and, I'm, and it's all these things. But it's another thing if that person comes up to you and you know they've gone through the same thing. Right? There's, a, there's a level of bonding that's there. And so as, as Paul is suffering for the sake of the gospel, he actually calls it a reason to rejoice because he's like, now I can see even just a little bit more what it is that Christ went through for me, what it is that Christ went through for the church. See, Paul knows that, you know, he was a sinner. Paul knows that before Christ, you know, he was anti-God being. He thought he was with God, but, no, but in reality, he was not. So he could maybe think that, you know what, I, I deserve to suffer. If, if anything, if that's, that's the truth, though. Like, mm-hmm. if we deserve what, we're, what we get. We deserve the, the punishment of sin. But Christ was innocent. Was completely innocent. So when Paul is going through this suffering, he's able to really think even that much more. He's like, but Christ was innocent. Christ did nothing to deserve this, and yet he suffered on my behalf. And so as Paul is going through he's able to re- relate just a little bit more to what it is that Christ was going through. And so he calls that a reason, a good reason to rejoice. Number two, Paul finds suffering, or Paul finds reason in the suffering, that it's not pointless, that it's not just for no reason. Right? Uh, he mentions that it's for the sake of the church, it's for the sake of the believers being built up. Uh, It's for the sake of Christ and his word being preached, that the mystery of the gospel is being revealed, that because Paul is suffering, again, it's it's not without reason. There is actually a purpose behind it. And so when he sees those purposes, when he sees those reasons, he calls that a good reason to rejoice. He's like, man, there's there's actually a a point to this. It's not pointless. Number three, Paul is empowered to endure the suffering. That when Christ first called him, he actually said straight up, I will show him how much he must suffer for my. But what, Christ, or what Paul was called to, he was not left to figure out on his own. He was empowered to do what Christ had called him to do. Right, we talked about earlier, uh, part of living a life that is pleasing to God um, includes being strengthened, uh, chapter 1, verse 11, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that we can endure. So Paul is, is being strengthened by God's glorious power, by God's glorious might to do exactly what he's been called to do. So he's not doing this by his own strength. He doesn't have to rely on himself to figure out how am I going to endure this with suffering. Paul sees that as good reason to rejoice. Four, Paul isn't alone in the suffering. So yes, he's being equipped. Yes, he's being empowered to endure the suffering. But it's not only that. He says that it's Christ in me. It's Christ in us. So Paul isn't alone in the suffering. Paul is that God is with Paul in the midst of the suffering it's not just that he's empowered to do it it's not just that like god fills him with power like from a distance and is looking at him like i hope he figures it out i hope he gets it no not only is he empowered to endure the suffering god is there with him in the suffering and paul says that's reason to rejoice and finally paul says uh, paul knows that the suffering is temporary that it's not forever uh that he says that it's christ in me the hope of glory there's a future hope of something to come where this suffering will end So Paul can look at his situation as hard as it was, as as absolutely difficult as it was. He can look at it and say, I know that there is a hope of glory that's coming. That this isn't forever. That this suffering isn't the final. That there is a Christ who is coming back to restore all of this." So those five things we saw uh, that Paul mentions as good reasons to rejoice. So this week we are going to start chapter 2. Uh, we're going to reread verse 29 because it plays in really well into verse one and chapter two, and it's uh, we're calling it Paul's or a peek into Paul's prayer life, a peek into Paul's prayer life. Uh, so, starting from chapter one, verse 29, we're going to read through chapter two, verse three, and it says this: verse 29. To this end, I strenuously contend with all energy, Christ so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you, for all those at Laodicea, and for all those who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding, in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I'm just going to read that one more time. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all those who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So it's a word that Paul kind of repeats there. He's talking about this contending, this contention, um, how hard he's contending for this church. And for a you know, different church in another city. And for all these people that he's never met. That word contending. I want to look at that. The Greek word is. A, I think it's pronounced agon. I'm not really sure how you pronounce it. But it's actually where we get the English word agony. And so Paul is agonizing. Over this church. Uh, the, the definition being um, to struggle. Uh, to. Uh, it's referring to an intense athletic competition. Or grueling conflict. And so he's struggling here. And it's usually used. Most of the times, in the positive sense, which might kind of sound a little weird, but if you can uh, kind of remember what Paul's letters, I think it's in First Timothy, where he says, fight the good fight of faith. That word fight is that same word. So he's saying struggle the good struggle, basically. So it's, it's this idea of like, yes, there's a, there's a struggle associated with whatever it is that you're going through, but it's for good reason, right? There's a positive outcome that's on the other end. And so you're fighting the good fight, or you're struggling the good struggle. And so you begin to think about, okay, so what, what is... You know, Paul struggling over or struggling for or agonizing over. What is he contending contending for? In verse 29 in in chapter one, he says, I want I'm strenuously contending or strenuously agonizing with all this power that Christ so powerfully works in me. When you think about what it is that Paul might be talking about, I think we get a good idea in chapter four. Flip through just real quick. Chapter four, verse 12. Paul uses the same word again, and I think we get a good idea of what he actually means by by contending or struggling. Chapter 4, verse 12 says, he's speaking of another person. He says, Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends his greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. When he says wrestling, it's that same word. Wrestling is that same word. And so Paul... The idea that we're getting when Paul is talking about, I am strenuously contending for you. I am strenuously fighting for you. I am contending with all this energy that Christ so powerfully works in me. He's talking about prayer. He is agonizing over this church in prayer. He is contending for this church in prayer. He is fighting for this church, struggling for this church, struggling the good struggle for this church in prayer. But you have to remember, Paul is in prison. Paul's in prison. And so when he's talking about, I'm agonizing over them, I'm struggling over them, I'm, 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 I'm fighting for them, I'm this. the only way that Paul can do that, if he's locked up in chains, is in prayer. He's in prayer. He is in deep, deep prayer for this church, for another church in Laodicea, and for all these people that he has never met. Again, Paul has never visited these people. He has never seen them face to face. They've never met him. And yet he is agonizing over them, struggling you know, for them, Fighting the good fight for them. And we find out it's in prayer that he's doing that. If you're in jail, locked up, like let's say you've been, you've been serving God, you've been, you, you know, you've, you've been preaching, you've been working, you've been doing all this work, you've performed, you know, God has performed miracles through you and all that. And all of a sudden you get locked up for it. Wouldn't it make sense that at some point it's just like you be, just begin praying for yourself? Or you just even give up on prayer? God I've been I've been serving you, I've been doing all this, I've I've worked. Why should I pray? Have you guys ever felt like like what's the point of prayer at any point? Have you ever felt like, you know, like I I don't see what the the point is. I'm not sure that this thing actually does it work? Is it why should I pray? Especially in this moment, like if I'm in prison, I've got my own things, you know, I'm dealing with, got my own problems I'm dealing with. Why should I pray, God? Why should I pray, God? You already know what I'm gonna say isn't he all knowing like why should i pray if you already know what i'm going to say what's the point why should i pray that god you're going to do what you're going to do anyway it's your will who's going to stop your will who's going to stop you God? so what's the point like it would be so easy to be so discouraged by a current situation especially if you're locked up you've been beaten you've been stoned you and all this stuff to you know what's like i think i've done enough i can sit this one up god i don't need to pray I don't need to pray. None of these things stopped Paul from praying. None of these things. None of any any kind of doubt or insecurity from what we see. None of these stopped Paul from praying. Chapter 1 verse 3 says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you because we have heard of your faith. Verse 9. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with all knowledge of his will. Again, what we just read. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy that Christ so powerfully works in me. I want you guys to know how hard I'm contending for you. Again, meaning prayer. So Paul isn't just praying occasionally. Paul isn't just praying like just once in a while. Paul is fighting for this church in prayer. He's fighting for this church in prayer. There's a lot that can be said about why someone like Paul can pray. Given his situation, given the fact that he's in jail, given the fact that he's been beaten and stoned and shipwrecked and he's suffered, you know, so many different things. There's so many things that we that can be said as to why Paul is praying or why someone like Paul can continue to pray in such such a circumstance. But I think we'll just boil it down to this. How you view God affects everything. This is something we've talked about before, but how you view God affects everything. It affects how you live. It affects how you think. And in this case, it affects how you pray. How you view God will affect your prayer life. How you view God will come out in your prayer life. This is where the bulk, of, and we talked about this as well, the, the bulk of our problems come from what? Come from we either don't know who God is, we don't remember who God is, or we don't believe who God is. We don't know, we don't believe, we don't remember. That's where our problems come from. And so having the right view of God then is super important in any given situation, especially if you're someone who's locked up in prison and it's really hard to see the point maybe in prayer. If your view of God is God is maybe distant, He's, you know, he's out there, I'm over here, I'm doing my thing, He's doing His thing. Uh, maybe God is cruel. Maybe God... Um, is unable or unwilling to help me. Like maybe he's able, but he's just not willing. Maybe he's willing, but he's just not really able. He's he's not really powerful. Uh, Maybe God doesn't really hear us. Maybe I'm not good enough for God to hear me. Maybe I haven't done enough for God to to accept me or to hear me or to, to anything like that. If my view of God shows anything like this, it will show up in my prayer. life. If I pray, if I even pray. But if my view of God is God is a father and a good one, God is a shepherd, God is kind, God is just, God knows best, God is wise, God is willing and able, if I know God to be this, again, that should show up in my prayer life. My prayer life will be a reflection of how I view him. So the right view of God will affect anything or any view of God will affect anything. And in this case, it will affect your prayer life. And so Paul has a healthy view of who God is. Paul has the right view of God. We can see this because of, look at what, look at what he's praying for. Chapter 2, verse 2. What's Paul's goal? In prayer, like what, what is he? What is his goal of all this strenuous contention, of all this agonizing, of all this you know, uh, struggling, of all this prayer? His goal, he says, is that they would be encouraged in heart and united in love. He says, I am praying and praying and praying, and I am seeking the face of the Lord, and I am asking Him, and I am praying and praying, praying that one that they would be encouraged in their hearts. Encouraged meaning comforted. Paul is in prison. Because he's a Christian, but just because you know there were plenty of Christians that he's obviously writing to who aren't in prison, it didn't mean life as a Christian was easy. For many of these people, they lost their homes, they lost their families, they lost their spouses, all because they wanted to become a Christian. Because they have become, they have come to know this love of Christ. To become a Christian was very isolating to so many people, to to, to many in the early church. If you were a Christian business owner, many people just avoid your business. If you were a Christian, you know, it didn't matter what it was, if you were a Christian, people began to distance themselves from you. So you're ostracized from business, you're ostracized from community, you're ostracized from family. Life, out, even you know, outside of jail, wasn't exactly easy for the Christian in the early church. Paul, knowing this, is praying, Lord, I pray that they will be comforted in their hearts. One who is in jail... Going through it himself is saying, Lord, I know what it's like to suffer as a Christian. And I pray that they would be comforted in their hearts. I pray that they would be comforted in their hearts. And he goes on to say, I pray that they would be united in love. United in love. Paul knows the importance of godly community, of godly friendships. Of sticking by each other. That the point of all, like, Paul knew how much Christ loved and loves the church. Paul knows that. He says, if you guys are going through it out there. There's no reason to be divided over small little bickering and small little offense and small little this. No, I pray, Lord, that they would be united together with the love that Christ so powerfully works in them. May they be united in that. May they find common ground in that. Because they need each other. There's no such thing as Lone Ranger Christianity. There's no such thing. There's no such thing as it's just me and you, God, and there's no church. It's just me and you, God, and there's no brothers and sisters. Paul, even in jail, look how hard he's working to stay connected to the church. Paul knows the body needs each other. And he's praying, God, I hope, I pray, I pray, I pray that they would be united together. Not divided, but united together in love. The love that Christ has for us, the the love that Christ has for me, the love, they will be united together in that. He goes on to pray for full riches and all treasures. Full riches and all treasures. He equates full riches to the complete understanding of knowing Christ. And he equates all treasures to wisdom and knowledge which are hidden in Christ. He equates full riches to complete understanding of knowing Christ. And he equates all treasures to wisdom and knowledge that's hidden in Christ. You see what Paul finds most valuable. What is absolutely most valuable to him. And what should be most valuable to all of us. Money is not bad. Let's just get that out of the way, right? Making money is not bad. Having money is not bad. All these things, that's not bad. But he said, but full treasures, all these riches, what's really rich, what's really valuable, what is really treasure, that's the knowledge of Christ. That's wisdom of Christ. That's knowing Christ. That is what's most valuable. There is nothing and no one on this earth that will be more valuable To you, more precious to you than knowing Christ. Paul, knowing that, is fighting in prayer on their behalf that they would know Christ, that they would know Him. And again, this isn't just because this this comes up a lot in in a lot of Paul's writing that word know, to know Christ. This isn't, again, to, to know just a few facts about Him, right? You can know facts about people. You can know things about people, right? We can know things about celebrities. We can know things about athletes. We can know things about... But of course, we, don't, we would never say we actually know them. No, we don't know them. We don't know them personally. Paul isn't talking about just knowing a few things about God. When Paul uses that word, know, it is an experiential know. It is a relational know. It is to walk with Christ. It is to know Him in prayer. It is to know Him in His Word. It is to know His voice. It is to experience his presence daily. It is to experience that, oh, this God is with me. This God is for me. This God loves me. That's what it means to know. That's what Paul is referring to. Not just head knowledge, but a heart knowledge. Jesus in John chapter, uh, it's John chapter 5, verse 38, I believe it is. Uh, he's having a conversation with the religious leaders, the Pharisees. Uh, you know, the the experts of the law, all these things. And his argument with them, he he says to them, you guys diligently study the scriptures because you think in them there's life. But these are the scriptures that testify about me and you have failed to come to me to have life. So what he's saying is this. You guys pour over the the, the scriptures. You guys pour over, you know, what they had at the time, the Old Testament. You guys pour over that again and again, day and night. You commit so much of it to memory You memorize it, you think that you know God, but yet you have no clue. How do I know that? Because the Word Himself in the flesh is standing right there in front of you, and you don't recognize it. That was Jesus' argument. He says, I am the Word in the flesh. I am this. You've been studying this day and night, and yet you still don't recognize it. So, Jesus isn't saying that the diligent study of scriptures is bad. Of course, that's not what he's saying. But what he is saying is that your diligent study has to point to something. It has to point to the one who wrote it. It has to point to me. And so, Jesus says to them, your diligent study of the scriptures, you you diligently study the scriptures, but in them, because you think in them there's life, but you have failed to come to the one who actually gives life. When Paul is talking about knowing God, He isn't talking about just pouring over the scriptures just so we can memorize a bunch of things and show off like, uh, I've got all this head knowledge. No, no, no. He's talking about knowing Him that when you do pour over the scriptures, as we all should, that it points to Christ. That when you open this, that you hear him. That when you go into prayer, that you know that he's there. That you hear him. That when you go to work, you go to school, you go to, you know, wherever it is that, you know, you go home, you go wherever it is that you're at. That you would just have this sense of like, I'm not alone. I know that I know that I know that he's with me. That though maybe physically he's not with me, but by his spirit, in a way he is physically with me. That I am not alone. That's what it means to know him. That's what Paul is praying for, contending for. God, that they would know you. That they would see the treasure, the real treasure of knowing you. The real value in hearing from you. The real value in walking with you. That they would be able to look at all their struggles, all their, you know, their, their trials, everything that they've lost, and be able to look at that and say, yet it doesn't compare to the real value, the real treasure, the real wealth in knowing you. That's what Paul is fighting them for. He's praying for. Paul is able to pray for a people he's never met. And again, to reiterate that, he's never met these people. He doesn't know them. And yet he is fighting, praying, contending, struggling, agonizing on their behalf in prayer. He's able to do that while he's in chains because he has the right view of God. Because he himself has come to know Christ. He's come to experientially know that God is with him. He's come to know that God is his provider. God is his protector. God is his comforter, his shepherd. He's come to know that in that prison cell, while he's still locked up in chains, that he is still Emmanuel, God with me. That I am not here in this cell by myself. He has come to know Christ so deeply for himself and now has the right view of Christ that this man who has never met these people who has his own problems to deal with, who has gone through his own suffering, is able to fight in prayer. Lord, may they know you in the same way. May they hear you in the same way. May they experience you in the same way. Your view of God affects everything. It affects everything. If you were in Paul's situation, if we were genuinely honest, if we were in Paul's situation... How would we... You know, what would our prayer life look like? Would we be contending for those who are on the outside? Or would we be like writing letters like, Y'all need to be contending for me. Y'all need to be getting me out. Like, and forget contending with God. You need to go contend with the courts. Go contend with these guards. Go contend with these people. Like, get me out. Yet, never in Paul's writing do you ever see a request, Get me out of jail. Never. Not once. He is continuously... Again, he's very open... About what he's going through. Actually, the end of this book, the last verse is, "Remember my chains. Don't forget me. I'm still here." So he's he's very open about that. But in his prayer life, though, in his prayer closet, what he's really fighting for, what he's really struggling for, what he's really contending for, is that they would know you, God. That they would know that you that you are a comforter. That they would be comforted by you. Oh, that they would be united together in love. That the church would come together, even in the midst of the persecution, even in the midst of all the struggle, even in the midst of losing the, the home and the spouses and the children and the, the families and the business, and all this stuff. In the, in the, even in the midst of that, they would be still united together. Paul can only pray these kinds of things because of his view of God, his relationship with God. You can't pray like that. If you yourself don't have that kind. Today was a little bit shorter that was it for today now normally we would talk about okay now that we've heard this you know these are maybe the two three four things whatever that we can take we can apply and and, and kind of go forth today I want to do something a little bit different I want to ask you okay what is it that God is speaking to you what is it that you feel that God is really speaking to you you coming up with your own conclusion you coming up with whatever it is that God is impressing upon you Whatever it is that God is really convicting you on, whatever it is that God is really comforting you with, whatever it is that God is really challenging you with or pushing you with, that's your conclusion. There's plenty of things that we talked about, right? You know, the importance of godly community, friendships. That's, that's of course, that's important. You know, valuing and treasuring this relationship with Christ and seeing it for what it what it really is. Getting to know Him in prayer, getting to know Him, you know, in His Word. Um, how your view of God affects everything in life. It, let's not be fooled. Like, your view of God will affect everything. There isn't a single part of your life that your view of God won't touch, that won't affect. Um, do I pray for others? Do I even pray? There's plenty of things that maybe God is speaking to you. Maybe there's something else that God is really speaking to you or impressing upon you or challenging you with, or whatever it might be. Whatever it is, what I want to do is take the next few minutes, five, ten minutes or so-ish, maybe ten minutes, Whatever it is that God is impressing upon you, whatever it is that you're feeling convicted about, whatever it is that you're feeling comforted with, that's your conclusion. That's what we're gonna pray for. I want you to take that to God in prayer. Just say, God, whatever this thing is, would you help me in this area? God, you know what? I don't really hear you, or I don't really feel like you you, you speak to us, or I don't really feel like you ever hear me in prayer, or I don't really feel like you're a God who's close, I don't really understand what it means to experience you. I don't really understand what it means to walk with you. I don't really understand what it means to be in a real genuine relationship with you. Take that to God and pray. I don't really know, God, like how to pray for others when I've got so much on my own plate. Take that to God and pray. God, I've got so many things that I am dealing with and I'm struggling and I just don't know how I'm going to get there. Take that to God and pray. Whatever it is that God is impressing upon you right now, so we're just going to take like I said the next 5-10 minutes or so, put some music on in a